0: Good evening, family. My name is David. I'm the site pastor at our Sterling location. That's why, thank you. That's why I gave out such a shout out for Oshimago when he mentioned Sterling. We've got an amazing uh, family uh, up there in Sterling. We meet at Dominion High School at 11 a.m. And I wouldn't be mad if you visited us. We've got an amazing thing happening. We are we are sowing into this building campaign with you all because when we went in Chantilly, we went in Sterling. And when we went in Sterling, we went in Chantilly. And so I'm so excited about the progress that's being made. We feel it. We love it. We give to it. And uh, we're believing God that we're going to be in sooner than later. Amen? So um, Pastor Jim, over the past several weeks, has been talking about hope. And I'd like to talk to you again about that theme of hope and I want to look at the life of a man who encountered Jesus and Jesus fulfilled this man's hope that he had, he, had, he had experienced of his own but he had also experienced as a result of the culture that he was a part of. Jesus fulfilled this man's hope and then I want to look at how he responded to God, Jesus fulfilling his hope and then look at its implications for us. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of John, that's in the New Testament. You can use the table of contents or your Bible app and just search it. It's John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. Um, in, this, in this scenario, what's happening is the apostle Philip is being called by Jesus. Je- Philip would follow Jesus. He would be a disciple of Jesus, and he would ultimately die because of his faith in Jesus and his role in building the church. Now, this is a a big deal, and I want to take a moment to highlight this because I think sometimes we can get comfortable in our Northern Virginia Christianity because it doesn't cost us a whole lot. It might cost you a conversation at the water cooler, your relationship with Jesus, true vibrant faith might cost you not going to see a movie or not being left out of a conversation, but it rarely costs us our jobs. It rarely costs us our, our houses. It rarely costs us our livelihoods or even our life. But the, the, the apostle Philip is called by Jesus and he follows Jesus. And, and there are a couple of different traditions about the way that he died. One of the traditions is that he died and he was crucified upside down. Because he was unwilling to die in the same manner as Jesus was murdered. We know that that's also true of the Apostle Peter. That's how he chose to be crucified upside down. Because he's like, I don't even want to die like my Savior. We, we, there's a tradition that states that he, uh, he was beheaded. There's also a tradition that states he didn't even want to be wrapped in, in linen. He wanted to be wrapped in papyrus after he died. So that he wouldn't even be wrapped in the same clothes that Jesus was wrapped in after he was crucified. And I just think about the cost of following Jesus for these believers and the excitement that we're going to see in his response to seeing Jesus. I just, I wonder what's lacking sometimes in my own life and my own zeal and passion for Jesus and my own willingness to take up a stand for him and to represent him in spirit and in truth in every place that my foot goes. Because it was going to cost him everything to follow Jesus, but he did so gladly Oh this is a neat fact i'm sorry I'm just excited about Philip and martyrdom in um, in late two thousand and eleven though we have different traditions about how he was how he was ultimately murdered archaeologists believe they found the tomb that Philip was buried in isn't that cool and so we see that archaeologists found this tomb that the that the Bible and the extra or, or that the that the texts outside of the bible pointed to and talked about the apostle Philip it says hey we found the place that he was initially buried and then he, his body got moved and it got moved and it got moved but i get excited when when archaeology backs up what we already know to be true in the bible because because they just got to catch up sometimes sometimes archaeology or history or science is just a little bit behind what we know to be true. And so when we find a place in the Bible where it disagrees, did you know there was no evidence of King David outside of the Bible until like 1993 or something like that? But we knew King David existed from all of Psalms for the last 2,000 years of Christian history, but it it took until 1993 to find any archaeological evidence to support what we already knew to be true. And so anywhere that science or, or archaeology or something else doesn't line up with Scripture, my, my take is they just don't have all the information yet. All the information isn't in yet. And all this looking into space, all this looking back and trying to find the origin of everything, I think they're going to find God at the end of it, and everybody's jaws are going to drop. I don't think they're going to find God at, at the end of it. I, I know that that's the only option, logical or otherwise. But uh, this is the famous come and follow me when Jesus is coming and he's calling his disciples, his ministry is starting. And so we come to John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Those are other people who follow Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would help us understand that you are our hope. God, and when we recognize you as the only one who can fulfill our hope, I ask that we, you would give us the courage and the faith to surrender our lives to you and to be led by you to do what you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Philip because he reminds me of me. That's why we like a lot of people anyway. It says that Jesus found Philip. He found Philip. God is in constant pursuit of you. Constant pursuit. There's never been a time in your life that God wasn't in pursuit of you because he has a plan and a purpose and a reason for your life that will only be realized fully when you come to the knowledge of Jesus because in Jesus, we know God and in knowing God, we can understand who we are made to be. But we like to fast forward that we're like, I want to know who I am. I want to know what I'm here for. I want to know what my purpose is and know what my calling is. If you want to know that about yourself, know God. Know God through Jesus Christ. And he'll put everything in perspective and help you understand who it is that he has created you and created you to be and purposed you to do. But he's in constant pursuit of us, and he draws us to himself and convicts us of sin and righteousness. That's why we can't enjoy doing the wrong thing. Somebody said amen. amen. Somebody was a lot like me. You can't enjoy doing the wrong thing, and so we got to do the wrong thing a bunch to get numb to that feeling of conviction, and so we got to be like intentional about our, our stupidity, right? It's like, oh, I shouldn't do this. That hurt. Let me do it again. Well, that hurt less. Let me do it again. That hurt less. Oh god, must not mind. No, I I wouldn't interpret it that way. Your heart is just getting hard. It's staggering to me that Jesus pursues us and he calls him he calls us to himself and he says, "Come just like you are." You you and me, we're like, you better come right. Right? If somebody's talking about you, if somebody's living counter to you, if somebody's spreading rumor about you or getting in your way of promotion or getting in your way at work or is in the way of what you want, it's like, they better come right. I'm going to make them right. Right? Am I the only one? Pastor's a sinner. Y'all are, y'all just needed some pizza tonight, isn't it? Is that what it is? We're just cranky because we didn't have pizza. Yeah, that's why I'm cranky. But I'm like, I'm like, you better come right. You better come humbly. You better come this way. I'm not going after you. You'd better come to me. And yet Jesus pursues us when we're rejecting Him, when we're running from Him, when we're denying Him. You deny me, we're done. That's the end of the relationship. Oh, whatever I offered, they denied me. Oh, we're we're done. But He continues to pursue us, and that's amazing to me. It's beautiful. To me, Jesus is like, "Come to me, and I'll make you right." And he said, "Follow me." So Peter's, Philip's feeder. That's what happens when you don't have pizza. So Philip, the guy we're talking about in John one, who lived with Peter. So Philip is a fisherman, and he's just going on in his everyday life, fishing. And mending nets. Sometimes with these, these figures that we meet in Scripture, we forget that they're actually people. And we forget that it actually happened. And we forget that they actually had lives. Right? Philip had a life. He was probably mending nets or doing whatever he was doing, expecting to go back to work, trying to make a dollar the next day doing everything he could to kind of live a, a peaceful, stable life like so many of us. And, and he had relationships that were good and relationships that were bad. He had struggles. He had misfortunes. He had fortune. And he was going to, to church on Sunday. He probably went on Saturday, right? They were laughing at me. He went to church on Saturday because he was a good Jewish man, and they didn't go to church on Sunday. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I don't know who I'm talking to sometimes in Chantilly, so you just got to make sure we're on the same page. Jesus is calling Philip to follow him. The call of Jesus wasn't be a better person, Philip. Try harder, Philip. Do these good things, Philip. Go to church on Sunday, join a small group, give to the chair campaign, and show up for extra credit on Wednesday night, Philip. There's no extra credit for showing up on Wednesday night. Sorry. It was come and follow me. And the call to follow Jesus is the same today, but sometimes with all of our culture and with all of our rules and with everything else, we numb it down to the lowest common denominator, to the easiest thing, which is just I'll show up at church. But we forget to follow Jesus. It's easy to follow Pastor Brett Fuller because he's an extraordinary man. And we'll do what he says to do when it's convenient for us. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. He's on staff. Can he say that? We'll follow Pastor Brett when it's convenient for us, but we'll forget to follow Jesus. I'll tell you, the biggest mistake I made for a long period of my life was trying so hard to be like Pastor Brett Fuller. Pastor Brett Fuller didn't even want me to be Pastor Brett Fuller. He wanted me to be like Jesus. And by following Jesus, he begins to hone you and draw out the things, the personality, the identity, the modality, the way that he's formed you and shaped you to prepare you for the work that only he knows that he's prepared you for. And so I wasted all this time following Pastor Brett Fuller. Now, now let me make this very clear. I follow Pastor Brett Fuller. I follow Pastor Jim Critcher and the eldership of Grace Covenant Church. I follow these men. But I follow them because they show me Jesus who I'm going to stand before someday. If I die or if he comes back first, I stand before Jesus. And the call has always been and always will be come and follow Jesus. So Jesus jacks up his personal life and says, hey, come and follow me. And we should all have moments where our life gets jacked up. Even if you've been following Jesus for a minute, your life should get jacked up every once in a while because God asks you, Jesus tells you to follow him into something that you wouldn't otherwise do. If it's to give to something, if it's to go somewhere, if it's to talk to someone, your week should be regularly interrupted by people who Jesus is calling you to talk to. Your your life should be interrupted because Jesus is calling you to not just be a person of faith, but to be a part of a people of faith. And that's inconvenient, and it's awkward, and it's tough. But during this time when we're promoting small groups and we're saying, hey, sign up for small groups, do it. Even Jesus, who, Jesus, the Son of God, man and God all in himself was like, if I'm going to do this ministry for three years and if it's going to continue into anything significant, I better get some people around me. And he called people to follow him and walk with him. So Philip, has his life interrupted and he follows Jesus. And then he turns around and he says, he says, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. First of all, God is so good to us that he lets us think that it was our idea. You think you chose God. I think I chose God, but he chose us. He chose you. And if you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus, he's calling you right now, today. The call of Jesus, the way he chooses us, is is the way he he does this, he like follows, it's like hide and seek with a three-year-old, right? You ever played hide and seek with a three-year-old? You gotta make yourself easy to find. That means if you're behind a curtain, your leg needs to be sticking out. That means if you're behind a closed door and your your feet can't be seen, you need to be saying their name right? Isaac, Isaac. And they're like, where are you? And it's like, I'm hiding. You know, and then, or, you know, if it gets really bad with a younger kid, you just follow them around around the whole house. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? Where's daddy? And you're like, I'm right here. Turn around. For many of us today, God is following us around and saying, here I am. Just turn around just turn around, I'm pursuing you, I'm calling your name, I want you to follow me, just look up, for crying out loud, and we're like looking, and we're searching, and we're seeking, and maybe it's in the promotion, maybe it's in that relationship, maybe it's in that car, maybe it's in that house, and he's like, it's only in me, turn around, which conveniently is the definition of repentance. Repentance. It's to turn from your own pursuit and to turn toward Jesus and to follow him wherever he would lead you to go. Wherever he would lead you to go. But he follows us around. He's like, just turn around, just turn around, just turn around. In the case of Philip, he was looking for Jesus because he was a good Jewish man. And they were anticipating the coming of a Messiah. They knew a Messiah was coming. So culturally and personally, he knew that somebody was going to come and fulfill the scriptures and somebody was going to come and deliver them from everyone. And he was going to, he was going to rule and he was going to lead this Prince of Peace was going to come and he was going to redeem everything and set everything right. There was a, a social and personal longing for the Messiah to come. And when he saw Jesus, his hope was fulfilled. When he saw the ministry of Jesus, the compassion, the love, the power, the miracle life of Jesus standing in front of him, he was able to say, that's what I've been longing for. That's what I've been hoping for. That's what all of us have been hoping for. You might not have come up in a home that taught you to long for and anticipate the presence of God in your life. In fact, you may have grown up in a home that said the only way you're going to make it is if you work harder and be better than everybody else. You may have grown up in a home that said the only significance that you will ever find is in the success you have in academics or in the workplace. I'm here to let you know it's in Christ and in Christ alone in whom we find our identity in whom we find our purpose, who can satisfy every longing of the heart and satisfy. He, he says, he, in that song we sang tonight, he said he is near to the brokenhearted. Yeah. He is always near to the brokenhearted. What is that brokenness that we look for all these other things to fit in? It's funny how a paycheck never quite does it, does it? That's why we use our paycheck to, to, on other things to try and plug the hole from movies to resources to everything else or to feed an addiction if it's alcohol or, or drugs, more illicit drugs or if it's something else. And we try and fill this gap, this longing, this, this hole in our heart that was designed for the presence of the living God that nothing else can satisfy. So we go around and we try and fill these holes with anything else that'll fit the gap for just a minute, maybe numb the pain for a moment, maybe make us forget for just a moment, maybe make us look good for just a moment. Jesus is saying, "Turn around. I'll fulfill that longing. Turn around. I'll fulfill your hope. I'll heal your wounds. I'll give you a purpose. I'll give you a destiny." I'll give you a life that extends beyond just the time that you have on earth, but extends for all of eternity. That's the call to follow Jesus. What is your deepest longing? What is that thing that that forces you to put other things where Jesus wants to be? Significance? Look, there's no, I'm not here to condemn you tonight. I'm just here to draw attention to the fact that, that our, our, our normal temptation, our normal pattern, our normal way of life is to put everything else in the place that Jesus is supposed to sit and reign. The psalmist found Jesus to be more valuable than water. In Psalm 63, he expresses his, his passion and desire for, for God in this way. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, faint, my flesh faints for you as in, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know, and, and we find ourselves in the same place. It takes us longer to get there, but this, This longing, this hope, this anticipation for something beyond us is why we can't turn off Netflix. It's why we can't sit quietly in a room by ourselves. Because we know there's a gap. We know there's something that needs to be plugged and we're not sure what it is or how it's going to fit. But this is the thing that drives us to work for our own significance. He continues, he says, so I looked Upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. I picture Philip walking to Jesus and being like, you're him. You're the one. He looked the living God in the eyes and knew that Jesus would be the only one who could fulfill his every need, his every want. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And this is my favorite verse of them. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Bless the Lord. I think of nachos and maybe chicken wings. Come on. I said I said ribs and sterling, and someone's like, they wouldn't have eaten ribs, David. <laughs> and I was like, We serve a resurrected Savior. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> but our soul could be satisfied in the same way that our stomach is satisfied by the finest of foods. You ever eaten anything and you were just like, this is what salvation feels like. In my mouth, salvation is coming to me now, in this moment. Have you ever experienced that? I hope you would. And then when you experience that, think of Jesus. And how he'll satisfy your soul more than any temporary food can do. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, for they shall be a portion for jackals but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. God satisfied the psalmist's deepest longings. His thirst couldn't be quenched in a way that the father could quench his thirst. His hunger couldn't be satisfied in a way that the the father could satisfy his soul. And back to John 1, in verse 46, Nathanael says to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Nathanael's like, seriously? Nazareth, really? I love Philip's response. He wasn't shaken by it. He wasn't hurt by it. He wasn't confused or bewildered he's like oh that's how you're supposed to respond I would expect you to respond in that manner don't, don't worry about it just come and see I promise you that when you tell people about who Jesus is to you and what he's done in your life you're going to encounter some resistance well that's just you he couldn't do that with me oh, are you sure All we got to do is come and see. Just come and see. Philip set a great example for us because he didn't just say, come to church with me. He didn't just say, come and do this, come and do this, come and do this. He said, come and see who who is the fulfillment of my hope. And when we go to people, I think we make the mistake of just saying, come and see or stop that. Stop that. Really? Really? We, do we really think that's going to work? If your invitation to Wednesday night was stop that, would you be here tonight? Probably not. <laughs> Let's come and see. What you tasted on Sunday, there's going to be a little bit more of it on Wednesday night. Come and see. God's changing my life on Wednesday nights. God's speaking to me. His Holy Spirit's moving in me. I've, I've heard this preaching on hope. And my my my... Focus is shifting from this world to God's purposes and his design. My, my, my relationship with Jesus is deeper and richer than it's been. I want to tell you, I want to show you, I want to introduce you to the person who saved me. Come and see. There are two things that I desire for all of us tonight. It's that we would encounter Jesus in a way that the course of your life is altered. Amen. I want your life to get messed up. <laughs> I didn't expect an amen. amen. Not messed up in the way that you thought of immediately, but messed up in the way that Jesus had always intended for you. Amen. Amen. Where, you're, where it's a delight and a joy to follow him, where he becomes your treasure and everything else seems like mud pies. And Jesus, it's my hope that you'd find fulfillment for the deep longing that you have in your heart, that you, that you wonder about, that, you, that, those things, that those questions that rise up in your soul when you're driving or when you're going to sleep at night or when you wake up, that soul wounds would be healed, that relationships would be restored and marriages would be made healthy. I long for that because when we encounter Christ and we let him satisfy the thing that we hope for, when we let him be our hope, As Tiffany said during worship, he'll transform us. Let me say, God typically doesn't heal a marriage. He he typically doesn't heal a relationship. He typically doesn't heal your boss first. He loves to start with you. It's follow me. Jesus didn't call to the guy next to Philip and say, you know, like, tell him to follow me. You know, like, it was like, follow me. Philip, follow me. And after Philip had already purposed in his heart and after Philip was already following Jesus, it's then that he went and invited other people into it. Hope fulfilled will empower you to endure all sorts of trial and difficulty, even pain. Hope fulfilled in Jesus will do more than just let you know who you're supposed to be but it will sustain you and give you peace and give you joy and give you strength and give you power to follow and obey the voice of Jesus. Secondly, it's my hope that after you find him, you would have the courage to go and tell others who you found Jesus to be. Who is he to you? Who is he becoming to you? Is he your victory? Is he your healer? Is he your provider? Is he the father you never had? Is, who is it? What is it that Jesus has fulfilled? What longing has he satisfied? What hope has he fulfilled that you can say, come and see? He'll do the same for you. I want to close with by recounting The life of a man who was impacted by a missionary. Um, This was this account is um, this account is highlighted in in a magazine that I couldn't find. It's a 1991. It was published in 1991. I think it's called Virtue Magazine. It's the April edition. I couldn't find a copy of it, but this man was living in in rural Africa. And the missionary came and found him and shared the gospel with him. The man's longing, the man's hope was fulfilled in Jesus. He knew there had to be something more to his life. And the missionary came and explained to him who Jesus is, what the gospel is, what the tension is in his heart, what sin was, and what righteousness uh, looks like, and how Jesus Conquered the grave, destroyed sin and makes us righteous, right? So he shares the gospel with this man. He is so moved that he's like, "I need to tell everybody in my village." And he runs back to his village, and, and the villagers, they beat him. They beat him until he's unconscious, and they take him out, back out, and they, they leave him for dead, hoping that something would eat him, And he comes conscious. And he kind of finds his strength. He, he gets water. He became, he's getting rejuvenated. And he's thinking through it. He's like, what just, what happened? I told them about Jesus and they, they beat me. I must have done a bad job. Because he's going to fulfill every hope that they have. The plan that he has for them is so far beyond and so much bigger than anything they have. I need to get better at this. So he practices and he rehearses and then he goes into the village and he does it again to the same result. And he's taken outside the village and and he's left for dead and he comes to again and he's like, man, I'm not good at this. I must have done a bad job because this Jesus is worth selling out for. What is it that they don't understand? And so he goes back into the village a third time and he says, he's, teaching and he's proclaiming and he's telling them about how Jesus suffered on the cross and they start beating him again. This time he notices tears in their eyes as they beat him and people are weeping as they beat him and try and murder him. This time he wakes up again but he wakes up in his home. As they were beating him they began to weep because in him they saw the suffering Savior. Because of his hope fulfilled in Jesus, he was not only willing, but he was empowered by God to go and endure beating after beating, to put his life on the line so that others would come and see. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would impact our lives in such a way that we would be able to see that our hope is fulfilled in you. God, for every single one of us, we've, we've tried to put other things in your place. Relationships and careers and just selfishness and pride and envy. God, you desire so much more for us. I believe you're here tonight with us, among us, convicting us of the things that we need to set aside so that you can take your proper place in our life. Go ahead and take a moment. Consider those things that have stood in the way of you being, having your hope fulfilled by Jesus and by Him alone. God, we recognize that everything else we can put our hands on will be destroyed by rust, by decay. And that which isn't won't pass over into eternity anyway. Jesus, as a people, we ask that you would come and sit on the throne of our hearts, Bring healing by your Holy Spirit to those places of longing that we thought would never be satisfied because nothing else did. And God, give us the courage to go and invite others to see who you are so that they too could understand that you desire to fulfill their hope as well.